Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and highly regulated industry. Today's episode is very exciting because we are going to be talking about a highly regulated industry that we have not yet talked about before, and that is the energy industry. On today's episode, we have Colin Goundin, the CEO and co-founder of VIA, a global provider of blockchain for the clean energy sector. And we're going to be talking about everything that that encompasses, integration, data privacy, analysis, and what the heck clean energy has to do with blockchain and tokenization. Before we get started, I have to do a quick thank you to our sponsor for today's episode, BAI. For those of you unfamiliar, BAI.org, and BAI is the premier uh, provider of education and compliance training for the financial services industry, but they don't just support financial services, they support all highly regulated industries, so thank you, BAI, for your support for today's episode. Now, Colin, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be talking to someone about an industry that, you know, in the three years that the show has been on, we've not yet had the opportunity to explore. Welcome. Thank you, uh, Dara. Thank you so much for having me on the show, and I really appreciate the opportunity. It's a delight to be here. So before I introduce you, I always like to allow my guests the opportunity uh, to introduce themselves. Um, so Colin, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be the co-founder of VIA. Terrific. Uh, my background is uh, as a technologist, I did the, the unusual thing starting out, which is I, I studied biochemistry and molecular biology, but I loved technology and I went into working for IBM uh, 30 years ago, if you can believe that. And uh, since then, started two companies and both had uh, relatively successful exits. Uh, after my second company, I um, had the opportunity to be a first investor and, and board member at uh, three MIT startups and one Harvard startup. I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, so that's not an unusual thing, actually, in my neighborhood. Uh, and then a few years ago, you know, was uh, uh, drawn to the a more mission-driven uh, entrepreneurship model, and you know, was very excited to to regroup with folks that I'd worked with for twenty or twenty five years, and um, at different companies, and uh, co found co found Via. So, is it true that there's like this secret, you know, competition between like Boston MA and Silicon Valley for like all of the academic projects that come out of those two regions? You know, uh, I guess so. The the arrogant thing to say would be. <laughs> There's competition. What? <laughs> I, don't I didn't realize there was, you know, I think there was a competition. I, you know, we're winning. I don't know what that means. Good. They're good. Um, but I, I do think the, each of the East, East Coast, aside from the uh, uh, Tupac and Biggie, you know, rap uh, East Coast. Oh West my God, Coast you beat me to the analogy. I love it. <laughs> uh, aside from that, there are, uh, there are different things about the East Coast and West Coast. And I think that's uh, built up around um, sometimes it's a little bit cultural, but also the academic institutions. Uh, so um, uh, Stanford has a you know unbelievably great, arguably the world's best statistics and uh, uh, computational science, computer science uh, program. 
you know, partly that's because MIT did not have, if you can believe this, did not really have a statistics department until two or three years ago. Because that's MIT sort of said, that's sort of wild. Yeah, yeah that is because MIT said, well, statistics, that's like a lesser science. That's not even a science. That's like math that you need. Physics, that's a real science. Engineering, that's a real science. Statistics, that's like, we're not going to have a department speaking, for that. Speaking, so, of, speaking of arrogance, and I say that with a great deal of yeah. affection, I have yeah. friends and colleagues who teach at MIT and who are, yeah. you know, and some clients that have come out of that program, which is sort of amazing. Um, but, but I digress. Let's talk about VIA because what VIA is doing is really combining up and coming technology that has become so, we'll start with newsworthy, um, uh -huh. to the point, to the point where, uh, average constituents and citizens and users and consumers are now starting to talk about this technology tokens and what it means for their mm -hmm. lives in ways that academics and innovators, technologists, and lawyers have been talking about for some time. Mm -hmm. And then combine that with the idea and need, desperate need for clean energy that has been so topical, you know, every political, you know, it's become the topic of every, you know, political race all around the world. And you're sort of right at the intersection of those two yeah. things right now. So tell me yeah. about what VIA is doing. Well, uh, it's, it's a, a great question. I, I think from our perspective, we started in this area of um, AI, you know, AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning to predict when something in the power industry is going to go wrong. And, and we did that because we we're very mission driven. So we said, you know, our, our goal is to make communities cleaner, safer, more equitable. That was our, our goal. And we said energy is one of those places that's kind of underserved. Healthcare, financial services, where there were so many companies actually focused in that area. In fact, Harvard Business School wrote three case business school case studies about VIA starting and picking this area of energy because most people would choose if you're in AI, machine learning, data, you'd, you'd start with healthcare and financial services. We, we chose energy because it was kind of overlooked and um, not enough attention was paid to it. I think we're, we're, you know, the, the big change or transformation over the last five years in, in energy is that you know, we're no longer um, you know, burning some fossil fuel to heat water to turn a turbine that then you know, sends electricity down a wire. Uh, we are in a position where that energy itself is decentralizing. So uh, rooftop solar, right, it, it means anyone can generate, can be a power generator. And uh, an electric vehicle means we have mobile batteries, right, and, you know, that, that we can park in our garages. And so there, there's a greater need for, uh, you know, the, uh, the, for analysis of distributed data. The thing that we found is you just couldn't get access to that data. Uh, it was private. There were security rules. Um, we have an investor who came to us and said, hey, you know, uh, we, we're, we are a power company. We'd like to use you, but your, the data about our infrastructure is critical infrastructure data. We can't actually release it. So that, that drove us to develop a platform that allowed the um, use of data while it's private and secure and, and analyzable and, and still analyzable. So that, that was kind of the origin of the company is helping to create a data platform that was made for clean energy in this sort of odd world of uh, at the intersection of, um, of sort of decentralized data and very private uh, rules. And then the token piece comes in later, which is, turns out blockchain was a good, you know, a good solution for that problem. So, And trustworthy, as it turns out. 
and trustworthy. And you know, the the uh, uh, we one of the things that we we were very lucky about is that, you know if it turns out if you can really solve this problem of keeping data private and secure and allow it to be analyzed, other people will come looking for you or or help you. So uh, in twenty twenty, the U.S. Department of Defense became a big customer for us. Um, Important question: Does that mean that Colin's got like some serious clearance? Are you are do you have state secrets? Uh, if there are people who, let's just say, there are people who have clearances, <laughs> and I'm not allowed in their offices, or at least maybe that's just what they tell me that I'm not allowed in their office. <laughs> per- the, uh, it, it, that, that would be the perfect excuse, Colin. I'd love to talk exactly. to you about this problem. The federal government yeah. will not allow me to. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, but we we do have uh, our software is now rated to do, actually, as you say, the to work at uh, top secret and classified levels of information and workflows. And uh, we recently just just a few weeks ago won a, a very large project that was against one of the largest uh, one of the top four consulting firms in the world. So it was Via versus this one other company for six months, and a national intelligence agency picked us. So we we now have eight plus contracts with the U.S. government, all in the Department of Defense and Intelligence area. And it's all because of this ability to keep data private and secure. Well, so when we talk about, uh, and for anyone listening, Colin and I did not rehearse or previously discuss any of this information. So I am, I'm, I'm being like fascinated on the fly. One thing that strikes me as particularly interesting, why the Department of Defense might be so interested and frankly excited about what you are doing is obviously there's the privacy and security component, which is absolutely critical. But then also when we're talking about energy and looking at what's happening in the world, um, you know, our nation's dependence on, um, you know, uh, other sovereign nations for for oil and for energy and for, for things like that. Do you think that perhaps at least the Department of Defense is viewing you um, and what you and the technology that you guys are bringing to the sector as critical in in terms of sort of freeing us from 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 that sort of dependence. I, I think that's becoming the case. I don't know that was the case a few years ago uh, when we started, uh, but and you know it's only but but I think that's becoming the case. And I'd say sort of cite two things. One is. Um, since the start of the you know Russian invasion in, in, of Ukraine, um, uh, cyber attacks on power grid infrastructure have gone up tenfold. So that is a you know the power infrastructure is a, a common you know you, I always say you know you if you're if you go if you lose the internet that's inconvenient and you kind of go back to life in 1976. If you lose power. You go back to life in 1876, right? That's a, uh, you know, nobody can live without power. We, it's something we need every day. So there, there's a critical aspect of, of uh, protection. The other is uh, the single largest consumer of energy in the world is the United States government. And 77%, I think it's 77, 76, two-thirds, right? three, three-fourths of the, of the uh, uh, spend in energy at the U.S. government is the Department of Defense. The DOD is the largest single spender around energy, and they have a you know there was a, a their executive orders and uh, just in the last twelve months, uh, kind of pushing in this direction of clean energy, electrification, all of those things to, uh, from the Department of Defense. So our work actually for for most of the bases is related to uh, base infrastructure and electrification in that area. Colin, so, does that so. mean you're going to save us taxpayers a bunch of money if you if they if they I let you, so. if they let you do your job properly? 
I, I hope that we become sort of energy independent and, uh, you know, save some taxpayer dollars. But uh, and also I hope, you know, core to the mission, cleaner air, right? Cleaner of water, course. safer communities, right? And more equitable. Uh, equity is actually plays a big role. You know, sort of uh, social equity plays a role here too. And, and we can talk. Well, talk to us that. a little bit about that. Why is that component? Why is it front and center to the mission? And, and tell us how it's impacting what VIA is doing. So the uh, it, the area of uh, it's it's we talk about AI analysis and um, it's easy for numbers to tell you anything you want them to tell you and the the example here is uh, if you said oh, we ele- you know electric vehicles are happening and it, they're they're actually quite stressful on the grid so we need to reinforce the grid and upgrade infrastructure wherever there are electric vehicles perfect. So the analysis you might do is go look where there are electric vehicles and put new infrastructure there. Sounds fabulous. That's the analysis that works out. Except who's buying all those Teslas? Well, the wealthier neighborhoods are buying all those Teslas, which means low and moderate income communities are not getting electrification or not getting the upgrades and in infrastructure because, you know, the analysis said that's not, they're not buying, you know, they're buying Subarus where they're using public transport. So they're not buying electric vehicles. To draw a pretty crude analogy, it's like also why some neighborhoods get the new Whole Foods and other neighborhoods don't. And that's how we create food deserts. So then we and create it, energy deserts, right? That's it. So that's exactly right. The, the, the difference being Whole Foods is, you know, owned by, is a, owned by Amazon, a publicly held entity. You know, they're, you know, they're a traded company. You can, you know, that's the difference is the most communities, the power company is regula- highly regulated and actually has a job, you know, around serving, you know, they're often monopolies and they have a job to serve everyone. And so they don't really get a choice around doing that. That's not, you know, they don't get to say, oh, well, you know, somebody else wants to serve that niche they can. There isn't another choice in those communities. So equity matters. In order to make those decisions, you actually have to combine, this gets into data privacy, I have to combine data. So I have to know not just who's using the power, I also need to know income levels. Well, now I just crossed into personally identifiable information and demographics (laughs) and, you know, and now I've got a whole different set of you know issues I got to deal with right around that. So those are there. It uh, becomes thorny or, or quite quite quickly. But but so this is why data privacy is so important. You have to you you the data is the. It would be easy to say let's keep the data private by not using it. That's not an option here, right? You need well, to use not it if you're trying to solve a problem, right? Because you, exactly. you need you need exactly. the data to solve the problem. So because. I can't help myself and I'm still a lawyer and we still have to talk about regulations on this show, even when we're talking about really, really cool technology. I want to make sure that I'm and my listeners are understanding correctly. It sounds like an interesting sort of regulatory pyramid um, and Mm -hmm. an issue that we're dealing with. And at that base level, you've got the energy sector, which Mm -hmm. is, as you said, a monopoly energy companies. They have to serve their communities um, and it's an area that's been regulated by the federal government for a very, 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 very long time. Um, and while there has been some change, the regulators that oversee that have stayed, it's been the same, you know, sort of tried and true. Then you've got the additional layer of privacy and security now. And up until the past few years, the United States was not terribly good at regulating um, or 
up putting together any sort of framework for mm-hmm. proper privacy and security regulation in the United mm-hmm. States. There's and there's still no federal law on the topic. Right. You sort of we have this piecemeal infrastructure of some states are passing privacy and security laws. There's been uh, guidance issued by a variety of different regulators, but there's no one standard. There's no one set of rules in this country as opposed to in Europe. Yeah. And then you guys have decided to be like, no, no, the regulatory framework isn't complicated enough. We're just going to throw some blockchain and some tokens on top yeah. of that too, which is an area that is devoid of regulation right now. There is debate on how to regulate it, what to regulate, who's going to do it. Is it going to be the SEC? Is it going to be the CFTC? Yeah. Is it going to be the OCC? Different rule. And and that all of that is in progress. So. Yeah. We've talked about the energy part, and we've talked about the privacy and security part. You said tokens came in later. So we're at later. So talk to me about (laughs) how you're using tokenization and what you're doing. Yeah. um, So a couple of things on that. I'd say first, the, um, you know, we we didn't originally have this. We we wanted to use blockchain technology because when the data is decentralized, you know, blockchain happens to be very good at dealing with things that are decentralized in general. And so that it made a, it made a perfect choice for us from that, that standpoint. Um, the, uh, uh, as we, you know, one of the things we're starting to see now with web three and other technologies is, you know, it's not just a technology movement, but it's a movement back to giving ownership and control and voting rights, frankly, back to individuals and consumers. Right? And, uh, uh, actually, as it turns out, and this is where data and technology and raw laws kind of uh, interrelate. Uh, the data that is generated by you as an individual is yours, whether it was ca- wherever it was captured or whoever happens to be the custodian of it. So, if you, uh, Dara, have a home and your home has a smart meter, that smart meter was installed by some power company and it it gets travels over some telecom network you know to a to the power company servers and it gets stored there technically it's your data and it's yours because probably because you generated that data the, whatever usage pattern of recording this podcast or you know, I I also or, paid to have that smart meter installed <laughs> and you did whether you know whether you know it or whether you wanted to or not it's in your rate base, right? When you pay your electric bill every month, there's a fee. So it is technically, it is legally yours. Now it turns out though, I mean, if somebody uses that data, do you get compensated for it? No, right? There's no compensation back to you. We we all, we all surely don't. And that's actually where we're headed, which is we're saying actually all this data that people have that is theirs, people should be fairly compensated for. And once you're able, if you, you know, the the natural extension of our platform of saying, hey, everybody, you know, what we're going to do is make sure we're, you know, we, we're putting in uh, strong controls and privacy layers around the data. We're making sure your data is your data. The next step is, well, since we know it's yours and we know who's using it, well, why don't we just compensate you for that? Or at least make sure they're compensating you for it. And if they're not, then you should be able to say no. You know, that's okay. You don't have to sell it to somebody. Um, you should be able to say no. And that's our choice now. I love the conversation and the narrative around choice. Um, anyone who's mm-hmm. been watching the news in the United States, uh, we've we've got some interesting news actually this morning about yeah. people's choices, specifically women's choices. But the conversation that I've had with so many innovators, particularly in the digital identity um, and uh, privacy space is really 
is central around this concept of who does the data belong to? What do I get to do with mm-hmm. it? And that is much of what's driving the entire Web3 movement. Um, yeah. It's a, it's, it's, you don't get more disruptive than that. And that sort of shift in paradigm and viewpoint, especially in this country for a very, very, very long, long time. And today, even, you know, the largest businesses in the world don't share that opinion, right? They, they don't share that opinion. They say, because you click the right box on a set of terms and conditions on their website in order to use their product or service, they own you and everything about you. So what we're talking about now mm-hmm. is a fundamental shift in, in thinking and, uh, paradigm shift com- completely. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be, I think the wonderful world of, of web three as you know, at its base. And then obviously organizations that are also believe in that philosophically and are doing things the way via is doing things. Um, I think we're starting to sort of see true changes in the world. Um, and hopefully it will be all for the better. But it is very encouraging to hear that the United States government, and specifically the Department of Defense, um, is so invested um, in a company like yours. Because, and I'm going to ask you a sort of like a controversial question now, because anyone who listens to the show knows I like to poke. Um, there There is a disparate opinions amongst innovators out there as to whether or not the government, specifically the U.S. government, is a friend, mm-hmm. enemy, or frenemy of innovation. Yeah. Colin, mm-hmm. which is it? I, I think the federal government, I think the government is generally, you know, I, I'm going to say BFFs, they're best friends actually with innovation, right? And I, I think it's important that regulations, regulations do play a role, right? They play a lots of roles. So uh, without regula- without laws like IP protection, or intellectual property, you know, we have seven issued patents on our platform without patent protection. It's like, well, anybody would just take it and use it, right? That's not helpful. We wouldn't want that. If, um, you know, you can't make an argument really that laws stifle innovation. The, you know, Pfizer and Moderna did pretty good jobs developing new mRNA kind of strains that actually government went, there was a process and that was an important process. And uh, people may not know the story that there was a time when the FDA did, uh, you know, was the sole purpose was to say, list your, as a drug maker, list your ingredients, but we don't test whether the ingredients are safe or not. And then guess what happened? Somebody made a terrible medicine and a number of children died. And then guess what? That would changed, right? Laws and regulation are there to protect people when done well. Right, when done well. And we go through a learning, we're human beings, so we don't do everything well all the time. And, you know, we, we learn, but, you know, the, the uh, reg- laws and regulations generally help us. And the executive order, for example, that came out on cryptocurrencies, uh, I'm going to say March 9th was the date that came out just a few weeks ago. Um, you know, that, that's helpful, actually, because what it says it, you know, to everyone is it gives intent that says, this is important. This is going to be part of our fabric of our, you know, there's no, it reduces the uncertainty, you know, whether there's something that's going to happen or not. We're going to make this happen. And I think also it sends a statement, you know, the government says, well, we I mean, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to spar with, I got to spar with you a little bit on that one. Great. So I read the executive order, the, on, on crypto, the same way probably every lawyer in the space did. And what struck me about it was actually its lack of specificity. And um, it's one thing to tell the world 
we are going to be looking at this and it's important that we do X, Y, and Z. But the amount of time that it takes to actually put together rules, regulations, a notice period, a comment period, a publishing period, for it to actually be put out to the world, that's that's a years long process, right? Those yep. are that that takes a considerable amount of time. So for those innovating in the interim, because no one's just going to sit around and not do anything while the while the lawmakers and you know if anyone's holding their breath for our Congress to do anything, they're going to pass out because they're going to be holding their breath for a really really long time. So in that interim time period, as an innovator who wants to disrupt and who wants to correct problems. Mm-hmm. You know that they care because yeah. they've come out and said that they care, but you don't actually know what the rules are, not yeah. for, you know, not for a considerable amount of time. You know, in the area of financial services, when the CFPB as an agency was created, in some cases, it took them seven, eight, nine years to get rulemaking effectuated under some of these laws. That's a lot, that's a long time for people to sort of cross their fingers and hope that they're doing it right. So do you think that the timing of that slows innovation down? Even if it's not an enemy to, in- to innovation, does it slow it? And as an innovator, what do, you, what do you do with that? Because you don't know what the blockchain rules are going to look like either. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. And I think change is happening everywhere. We don't know what the data privacy rules might end up being. We don't know how uh, energy deregulation. Yeah, but at least Europe gave us a hint. Europe Europe gave us a hint at what they're going to be. Yeah. You know, deregulation, you know, in energy, for example, is also a thing, right? That's happening. There are lots of places. Now, you're right. I think the whole token blockchain crypto space is moving very fast and much faster than a year. But um, I I think it, it provides. I would say I agree with you that there's not specificity in the, and you know, there's nothing that says this is the law or this is what what we expect to happen. It's an executive order, and what it does is it gives two things. It gives air cover about saying this is the direction we're heading, and the executive order also gives you know the every government agency they have like 50 things on their agenda to do, maybe like a lot of things, and what it does it says oh this now has to be one of them. <laughs> and no longer gets put off it's going to happen and we better do it we better have a point of view on it cuz like we're supposed to have that so i think it pushes everybody in the right direction and for innovators it's you know we're always filling gaps it's like you know with the uh the uh, you know we we i think everybody would much rather have a really good law a really thoughtful process than you know something that comes to the legislation that's you know too quick or you know doesn't really think through all the implications right so i think uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not worried that it's you know innovation will be stifled in some way. Are you worried? Are, do you have any concern that midterm elections are going to turn all of that on its head in the United States? Mm. No, I don't think so. I, because uh, partly it's an executive order, so not really. You know, it won't it won't impact the the. Yeah, you know, it's not a law, right? In the same way, I won't get that. Um, not so. until someone puts a bill out because yeah, President right. President Biden said that this has to be a priority for lawmakers. Yeah, so we're going to yeah. get we're going to get a number of versions of bills that are put out. The regulators are going to try to, you know, squeeze it into rulemaking and some existing law that doesn't exist. So we're going to have yeah. to start yeah. we're going to have to start um, you know, lawmaking from scratch and you know, we don't know what the composition of our Congress is going to look like. I think that's that's fair. That's too, we don't know what the composition of the Congress is going to be. I think there are three things, you know, if I look at all three areas that we talked about, I think there's the, the, whether you're a red state or a blue state, there's uniformity about some of that. So 
there's uniform, which is there's no one who says energy is unimportant or energy independence is unimportant. You know, it's clear. Second is there's no one, red or blue, no one says, oh, I don't believe in privacy or data privacy. Like there's no one. It's not a thing. And the third is when it comes to, you know, people may not understand the issues. I think, and that's both a red and blue thing. That's, you know, it's complicated and the technology itself is hard. And, uh, you know, they, but I think there's uh, no one who says, uh, you know, that um, this, this is something that we want another country, right, to take the lead in. And I think if the U.S. is anything, it is competitive and likes to win. And I think now the challenge is laid down and this says, hey, this is a thing we want to win. We want to play digital currencies. We want to know this. And that's we're going to put, we're going to make that happen. Well, well, Colin, it sounds like you'd be a perfect uh, person to give some congressional testimony when said uh, when said bill or law actually hits uh, hits the floor to try to educate some of our lawmakers about um, what they should and should not be thinking about in terms of a, you know, a comprehensive piece of legislation. Um, I, I would be uh, delighted to do that on the terms of, you know, providing input versus being summoned to, for, to give testimony for, you know, for bad reasons. So for, you know, no, many no, two no, companies no. who got called in, who hauled in for, for violations, I'm happy to do it on the, you know, the, the uh, for good reasons uh, for, to provide input. Absolutely. Um, so, Colin, if my listeners want to learn more about you or VIA, where should they go? Uh, so solvewithvia.com. That's our URL. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So uh, solvewithvia.com will, will get you uh, to most places, though. Parting thoughts for our listeners? Uh, well, first, it's been a delight there. You know, thank you so much for uh, having me on the show and, and uh, for all the excellent questions. And um, it's not often you get to have both fun and, you know, quips and also, you know, <laughs> some thoughtful query. So I try. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm single-handedly trying to change the impression people have of lawyers around the world um, that we're not all born. Mission accomplished. Mission thank accomplished. Thank you. <laughs> Um, okay, listeners, um, that was our very first uh, episode on clean energy and blockchain and AI, and we got it all in. Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and if you want to learn more, find them on Twitter, find them on LinkedIn. Um, we will have information uh, about the company and the show on the Provoke.fm website or wherever you like to listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. Um, thanks again for joining us. Until next time. Thank you.